My good people, greetings, how are you? How are you feeling? What is going on? Hope you had another fun-filled summer weekend as we kick off another week, the final few days of July, as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For the first-timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who've been listening for more than one episode to now 82, I welcome you guys back here on a Monday, July the 29th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Here's what I have on tap. NFL training camps have opened throughout the country. I'll touch in on a few, go through the league a little bit as we now kick off the training camp season as exhibition season commences on Sunday, I believe, with the Hall of Fame game. As the football fan, I'm sure, is thirsting and salivating for some football. I'm certainly not, but we'll touch on that. A couple of NBA re-signings, which uh, which are pretty important, both in the Eastern Conference as the free agent frenzy has certainly died down and everything has become quiet, but we'll give uh, my two cents on a couple of signings that have taken place. Also an NHL signing, which is no big deal, but it happens to be one of the powerhouse teams in the NHL. So you'll get my view on that, plus my hero and zero of the week. But I had an interesting scenario last night, and one that is rather difficult if you're a sports fan, because as we all know, sports news, as quick as it comes in, as much as we want to process and digest it, when you're in the middle of something, it's kind of hard to do so, and I will certainly explain the Marcus Stroman deal, which came through last night, and a lot of people thought, Marcus Stroman, yes, was he going to come to New York? Absolutely. But was he going to come to Queens? No. Everybody thought the transition was going to be into the Bronx, and if I would have gotten this information last night at 6 p.m., which is what happened, I would have looked at it and been like, ah, all right, who did the Yankees trade for, so on and so forth. But because he went to the Mets, this was my dilemma last night. As I opened the app and I looked to see this deal just pop up out of nowhere, and when I saw that Stroman was traded for two prospects, as I'm walking into a movie theater, I went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is excellent. I certainly recommend it. Go see it whether you're a Tarantino fan or not. So I'm sitting in a theater and I'm processing this information because it's not just a trade of who. To me, it was a trade of what's next because the Mets, as we all know, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast, the bullpen is the biggest glaring weakness of this ball club. And we've seen time and time again how they've blown leads left and right, almost blew the lead yesterday. As they swept the Pirates, they've won four in a row, they've won 10 in the last 15. All right, everything's rosy, looking great. That's fine. But now I'm sitting in this theater thinking, we got a starting pitcher, a guy who's a local kid, we all know from Long Island, actually dueled against Steven Matz in high school. I believe his first home run was off of Steven Matz going back to grade school. So you feel that this will be a nice fit. All right, perfect. Stroman, I can't believe it. What is going on? So now, as the movie begins, and all I could replay in my head is, what is the GM Brody Van Wagenen going to do next? You've heard all the rumors about Noah Syndergaard, him maybe going to the Padres, him being packaged to several teams, even the Yankees, although that's a pipe dream and that's never going to happen, him being brought up as far as the deal is concerned between both the Bombers and the Amazons. But now, I'm fidgeting in my brain, going back and forth, Mental gymnastics thinking, all right, are they going to trade Syndergaard? Are they going for it? Are they now buyers? I thought they were sellers. What is happening? So as I'm trying to pay attention to this movie and have a poker face because my girlfriend next to me knows that if I even relinquish any of this information, she's going to be wondering if I'm there in headspace as opposed to just being there physically. Trying to concentrate on this movie when all I can think about is this deal and what it means for the Mets over the course of the next two days and moving forward. So now the movie's over, and I get home, and I look for more information, and I see who they traded him for, Anthony Kay, and another prospect, uh, Simon Woods. got his last name, but again, it doesn't really matter. And these are guys that aren't even ranked in the top 100 as far as minor league or major league baseball prospects are concerned. So here I am thinking in the theater, going crazy, and as I had a chance to exhale, the first thing I thought about was, Strowman being part of this rotation, and are the Mets making a push for the wild card? So my first reasoning was that they must be doing this to make a push. 
Because why in the hell would Brody Van Wagenen trade Noah Syndergaard if they feel that even with being five games under 500, and forget about the division. I mean, that's not even a thought. But five games under, knowing that they still have to leapfrog over six teams. And mind you, three weeks ago, they were hanging right there with the Marlins as the worst team in the National League. And with a lot of the teams that have fallen off since, the Pirates have certainly been in a free fall. We saw that over the weekend. San Diego certainly hasn't done any well, and the Mets won two out of three against them this past week. The Reds, they look like their ship is somewhere out in the Atlantic. So the Mets have made some progress, but not enough to make you think or believe that they're going to make a push for this. But Brody Van Wagenen, remember, come get us at the beginning of the season. And even though he surrendered that just a couple weeks ago, but maybe, who knows, he has this renewed faith, this renewed hope to think that this team could be in the mix to make a push for the wild card. So now with that being said, here's the dilemma. We know that guys like Zach Wheeler, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and chances are will be a guy that you would want to pawn off for some prospect. We get that he's a rental, so you're not going to get much back, but still. And no, and Zach, who pitched the other night, and he pitched okay, wasn't great. Got the win, five and a third. You go ahead and take that for what it's worth because how I look at it is the team's going to want not what he's done based on his last start. They just want to make sure that the guy's healthy. And for one night, could you gather that he was healthy? Eh, well, he pitched. Certainly didn't help that he wasn't, you know, he didn't get bombed, but at the same time, you know, he didn't throw six innings of one run, three hit baseball with 10 strikeouts. And then you also have Jason Vargas, who's certainly been their most consistent starter, which is almost unfathomable to think. Granted that Jacob DeGrom is certainly, since the beginning of May, he's been DeGrom-like. It may not show in his win-loss record, but of course he hasn't given up a ton of runs. He's kind of been the the Grom of 2018. And that's not to discount or certainly not put a not a check mark next to his name as far as being the best pitcher in the rotation. But Vargas, let's face it, he's done a steady job. And I'm going to put Todd Wheeler off the back burner here because right now to me it's all about what the Mets are going to do with this starting rotation. And... If you're a Met fan, the one thing that you want to know, if you could be in the brain of Brody Van Wagenen, is Noah Syndergaard going to be off this team come 4 o'clock Wednesday? Now, if you ask me, Brody's a guy that he's going to put all his chips in the middle of the table. As you've seen last year, and we saw how all those moves pretty much have backfired, other than J.D. Davis. But you got to think that he's not going to trade Noah Syndergaard unless he gets the quote-unquote Vito Corleone offer that he cannot refuse. Anything short of that, don't even bother. But this is the thing. I cannot trust Brody Van Wagenen to not make that deal. I don't know if he has it out for Noah Syndergaard. I wouldn't think so because he was his former agent. Does he think because Noah is his biggest chip that he could get the most back for him? But with two years left on his deal, there's no urgency to move him today. Then if you wait for the offseason, hopefully Syndergaard, who do not pitch well in their only loss on his homestand on Wednesday night, right, he pitched seven innings, but he certainly wasn't anywhere near that he had been his previous two starts. So why even think or even entertain the thought that if you're not going to get a King's Ransom back, for a guy, let's face it, you're pretty much basing it on his two years left to free agency, and the potential for him to be a number one A starter, which he has not shown that on a consistent level all year long. And as I've said time and time again, has not been the 15-16 presence that he has been here in 2019. But there is no urgency to trade this man if A, you're bringing in Stroman to make this push, and unless you're getting back Fernando Tassis Jr., or even, if I dare say, Gleyber Torres, which the Mets and Yankees will never make a deal, but then that's the flip side, which I'll get to the Yankees in a minute because right now they're going to be pretty desperate looking for starting pitching considering the way their week just went. But if you're Brody Van Wagenen, I would think that this Stroman deal is not a precursor to trade Noah Syndergaard. Does it look that way from the surface? Abso-freaking-lutely. But even still, if you're not getting back the sun, moon, stars, 
and maybe Pluto, don't bother. Met fans will be pulling their hair out of their heads. They're going to go insane and they're going to wonder if Brody Van Wagenen was trading Noah Syndergaard to spite the deal that he made back in November or December, wherever it was, when he got Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. And we know how that's gone so far as a mulligan for what happened then to say, hey, well, I got this guy back and that guy back and a bunch of prospects for a one Noah Syndergaard. That's not going to fly. Because he should know it's not about trying to make up for a trade that took place six, seven, eight months ago. It's not about redeeming himself. This isn't tennis. This isn't an individual sport. This is, as we all know, it's a team sport. And if he's thinking about trading Noah Syndergaard for some mid-level prospects or potential, whatever it is, uh uh-uh. You have to bring back a legitimate stud not only everyday player, but also a pitcher. And that's just a start. And you may get someone else's top flight prospect as well, whether he's a pitcher or another position player. I mean, anything short of that, it's inexplicable. And as far as Zach Wheeler's concerned, again, we get that he's not going to get a ton back. Hopefully they pay the rest of his salary this year because you figure to go back to that Sandy Alderson trade when they got Zach Wheeler... When they traded Carlos Beltran, remember, the Mets paid the rest of that deal because they knew that if they were going to have to give up the deal and not have the Giants pay the rest of Beltran's contract that year, that, of course, they would have got a lesser prospect. But because they made that trade knowing that, okay, we'll eat the rest of this deal, but we want Zach Wheeler, then guess what? That's what the Mets got. How's it worked out? We all know we're not going to go through every little bit of Zach Wheeler's history, but we know... When his head's on straight and his arm is healthy, etc., he can be a number two, number three pitcher on any rotation in the major leagues. So what you come away from this, and again, it's still the story still hasn't been finished. Because you've got to hold our breath for the next, as I'm recording this right now at eleven twenty seven AM. We have to hold our collective breaths as Met fans for another fifty two and a half hours. And all I can say at this present moment is and I'm just going on gut that Brody Van Wagenen will not trade Noah Syndergaard unless he gets blown away with an offer. But let me see what that offer is first, and I understand it doesn't work that way, but let me see what that offer is first, and then I could say, all right, you know what? It was worth it. And as far as the team is concerned, you bring in Stroman, who's a ground ball pitcher, and we all know the Met defense is atrocious. It's not been good. And if the Mets would even think about getting that position player back, bring back an outfielder. Can we bring back a center fielder? Now listen, would it be nice to get a Fernando Tatis Jr. or Gleyber Torres or someone of that ilk because those guys are not coming here. Yes, it would be nice, especially to shore up that infield defense. But we also need an outfielder because I do not want to see any more players that are going to be played out of position from here on out. I get that for the rest of the year that's going to be the case, understood. But I'm tired of seeing players being out of position, whether you're Dom Smith in left field when you're originally a first baseman, please don't even think about sending Ahmed Rosario from shortstop to center field for 2020. Even And he's done an admirable job, so I can't get on him, but Jeff McNeil, who was an infielder by trade, playing more outfield, I get that he's shown a lot of versatility, and he's actually slumped a little bit of late, as well as Alonzo, and I understand he's been hitting some home runs since the break, but his average has dipped quite considerably since the All-Star break. And McNeil, I believe, is now at 335 when he was at 350, it seemed, about five minutes ago. So what is this Met team going to do here over the course of the next 52-plus hours? Because if they're going to do away with the Jason Vargas's of the world and the Zach Wheelers and even Todd Frazier, maybe you can go to an American League team, be a defensive stopper there for a team that's contending, and then maybe even DH for that matter. Okay, great. But I wonder what Brody Van Wagen and what is the plan here? We understand the plan is to get better. The plan, right? But it, the plan is to get better, and you're going to trade Noah Syndergaard for nothing of high level prospects or an everyday player that could just come in right now who's young. Because as he, if you didn't learn from the Cano trade, you cannot bring anybody that's over thirty here. 
Because the Mets right now have a nucleus where you have a bunch of players, whether his name is Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso, Ahmed Rosario, Michael Conforto. All these guys are under 27. And for them to just bring in another guy that's 30 years old or 31, I mean, what's the point? Stroman is 28 years old and he has another year left, so that's good. And of course, the Mets are going to have to re-sign him when that time comes, but that's for down the road. We're not going to worry about that right now. But to me, as a Met fan and as cynical as I could be and jaded and sorry, but that's the armor that I wear because this organization has frustrated me countless times over the years. As I conclude this segment with the Mets, the only thing I could say is, is that you just hope Brody doesn't screw it up and he doesn't make a trade just for trade's sake. He better confer his baseball people on this and make sure he gets the right players back if he trades a Noah Syndergaard. Zach Wheeler, to a lesser degree, Vargas and Frazier, whatever you get back, you get back. And that's it. Because there is no way, shape, or form that the Mets are going to get any better if Syndergaard goes somewhere and they're going to get prospects that are a year or two ready because that's not going to make any sense. Especially when you make a trade for Strowman and you think that you're in win mode or, hey, we have a shot at this even if we are six games back. And I'm going to say this as a fan. Even with the recent winning and even with the Strowman trade, I'm still not sold. They're not sucking me in. And yes, I root for them. And yes, I am. I bleed blue and orange. But there is no way on God's green earth, I've seen this movie a zillion times. As I said a couple weeks ago, get me to 500 first. Oh, you know what? Even better. Get me a game over 500. Okay? I understand I should take 500, but you know what? 500, then they can lose two in a row and they're two under and that's it. I want to be at least one over because then if they lose two games in a row, then they're just one under. And before you know it, two under becomes 500 and then they're back where they started. So get me a game over 500 and then maybe I'll start to believe a little bit. Because some of these teams are going to have to just fall off the face of the earth, just like the Pirates, the Reds, etc. That's not going to happen in San Francisco. That's not going to happen in St. Louis. That's not going to happen in Washington. It's not going to happen for any of the teams that are ahead of them right now. So it's going to be very fascinating to see what is going to shake down. And even more so, what's going to happen in the Bronx as I segue to them. Now the Yankees, we saw what happened this past week. They were all softball games. Some of them were football scores. And the Yankees, I tell you, it's almost as if the baseball universe picked this week to have the most awful week they could possibly have. And granted that their ERA since April has gone up. It seems like it's gone up a run every month. And here they are, now at the point where they're two days away from the deadline. One of the top guys that was on the market is now off in Stroman. Bumgarner, you think he's going to be on the Giants, considering it's Bochy's last year. As a manager there, he's going to retire after the year. And they're going to try to make a push. Who knows what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer. And I'm going to talk about him later on. After his antics yesterday. If the Yankees even want to bring in a guy like that to their ball club. So yeah, you have the Mike Miners of the world. I get that. But here's the one thing with Brian Cashman. That, let's face it. What Brody Van Wagenen did, he pulled the Brian Cashman. Because Cashman sometimes... He pulls these deals out of thin air and you think to yourself, geez, how in the hell did that happen? But there is a caveat. Because I'm sure baseball took a look at what happened this past week and Brian Cashman is going to be desperate. And you wonder, what's going to happen with these GMs on these clubs that have these pitchers when their first words out of their mouth are going to be, Gleyber Torres? I'm sure right then and there, Cashman's going to hang up the phone. But you never know. If Cashman's going to get back that guy, and I don't even know who that guy is, if I were to go through every roster in Major League Baseball, I'm sure there could be one guy that, hmm, I could see him trying to trade for X guy or that guy or whomever. So the Yankees, with everything that's transpired over this past week, especially with their starting rotation, and with CeCe now on the DL with knee inflammation, who knows how how long that's going to be, It even puts more of an onus on making a deal here over the course of these next two days. Now, I don't know if Cashman would be willing to deal 
any of their top guys. I'm sure they're going to probably start with Clint Frazier or Esteban Florial. I know Davey Garcia. Now, that was a rumor had come out with the Stroman deal, and the Mets gave up Anthony Kay, who was a guy that I probably looked at to say, hey, he could be on this rotation next year. And the other kid, Simon Woods, I know he has a hyphenated last name. Anyway, there were rumors over the weekend that a lot of the talk coming out of Toronto was that the Blue Jays were looking to see if they could pluck David Garcia, who was their prize and number one prospect, pitching prospect, down in the minor leagues. And the Yankees backed off on that. Where the Mets sent them two prospects, as I mentioned before, they're not even in the top 100. And it made you think, the Mets actually pulled the wool over the Yankees' eyes by getting these two players for Stroman? Or giving these two players for Stroman? But then... It goes back to the question. As we get closer to the deadline, will Brian Cashman pull the trigger on a deal with one of his top prospects? It's weird how one trade is now the domino effect pretty much not only here just locally, but for those teams that are looking for starting pitching here to close out these last two months and try to make it to the postseason. I don't even know what to say to the Yankee fan if they don't get another pitcher here. Now, I can see them getting another reliever, which you would think they're just going to hope and pray that their starting rotation not only gets healthy, but also pitches well in August and September, and then just have their bullpen at it to ride them to a World Series title. But I'm sure the Yankee fans are a little bit nervous after what they've experienced this past week. And how could you not be? Because as I've said over the last two weeks, if they plan to contend in October, they need to have... A horse. All right, maybe not an ace of a Justin Verlander or someone of that ilk, but they certainly need a guy that's going to eat up some innings and be effective. And that's what you would have gotten Strowman. But because they're up against it right now, and I'm sure Brian Cashman, as I'm speaking at this very second, is working the phones to try to procure some starting pitching talent. Because remember, in October, if they go up against the Astros and a Justin Verlander and a Garrett Cole, and even a World Series, when it's Hyungjun uh, Ryu, I can't even pronounce his name, Hyungjun Ryu, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. Listen, the Yankees could put up some competent starting pitching, but at the same time, can you put up a guy that's going to give me seven innings? Maybe eight possible? And we understand seven is a new nine innings. Not many pitchers are going to go that long, but hey, you're trying to win the brass ring here. This isn't about winning a series or winning a game. It's about winning the whole thing. So, and the Yankees this week, the good thing for them is that they actually have five games. They have a day off today, two against Arizona, day off, and then they have four against the Red Sox over the weekend where now the Red Sox come here. And remember, one of those is from a makeup doubleheader game. I believe Saturday is a doubleheader day night. So you can have the Red Sox again. Four more here at the stadium. And the Mets just throw them in the mix. They have the White Sox and Pirates on the road. So they got two teams with they certainly win games against. As the White Sox have uh, certainly faded. Not that they were part of the race, but at the same time, they were within 500. Now I believe they're under five, well, 10 games under 500. And the Pirates, as we talked about, we know where they're going. South. So we'll certainly see. Now, a couple of moves have been made. The Rays made a move for an infielder, Eric Sogard, with, with Toronto. And Toronto's going to be front and center here with this deadline. Not only do they already have been for the aforementioned Stroman trade, but there are a couple other players that I'm sure that may be plucked from their team uh, over the course of the next two days so they can refortify their roster. You had a couple of uh, another acquisition there with the Twins picking up Sergio Romo. Eh. You know, Romo's not going to light the world on fire, but he does have postseason experience. He does know what it takes. He's a veteran. I'm sure that's going to help in their bullpen. Is he reliable? Yeah, I guess he's reliable in the sense that he's healthy and he'll pitch, but to me, he's all about that slider. If he doesn't have that working, then he's certainly hittable. And then speaking of the Rays, you know, they took a big hit there with Blake Snell having uh, arthroscopic surgery on his elbow. They say it's just a, a bone spur, or the term that they used was uh, 
a loose body. But they say he should be back in September. Who knows what the Rays will be like at that time. Will they still be in it? You would think they'll still be in the wild card mix. But uh, that's a big blow. And despite him not having a great year, he's actually having a bad year. Considering coming off of a Cy Young that he did last year, it's certainly a blow to them to try to finagle. And who knows if they're going to be in the mix for any pitchers here uh, from now until 4 p.m. on Wednesday. And then as far as the other teams are concerned, just looking at the wild card mix, because as we've talked about the divisions, and divisions are pretty much a foregone conclusion for most of them. I know the AL Central has certainly gotten juicy now. Remember, there were 11, I believe as much as 11 and a half games, the Twins, and now it's to one. And I certainly need to take a look at them as far as what they're going to do here over the course of the next, the, the Indians, that is. What they're going to do, I think they'd stay put. Is Bauer going to be on the block? Who knows? After yesterday's shenanigans, certainly remains to be seen. But when you look at the rest of the AL, Yankees are going to be fine despite the hiccup over the past seven days. Out West, Houston looks like they're going to cruise to a division, which wouldn't be a surprise. Same for the NL West leading Dodgers. They've been in cruise control, it seems like, since Memorial Day. And then the East, the Philadelphia Phillies had a shot to put a dent into that uh, lead for the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. That certainly didn't happen as they salvaged the final game and the Braves look like they're going to be on their way to a division crown for the second year in a row. Hopefully they're not going to start the 14 straight that they did back in the 90s and 2000s. So now you only have is the Centrals and with the National League, that became a logjam too. St. Louis is now tied for first place with the Cubs. And in fact, they actually had sole possession of first place as of yesterday morning. But with them losing, the Cubs winning, they actually salvaged that final game against the Brewers. And the Brewers only a game behind. So you're going to have a three-team wild chase there, not only for a division, but also for a wild card. And as you look at the wild card standings as of today, in the American League, you have Cleveland and Oakland. Excuse me, at the top, where Oakland is uh, three back of Cleveland. So Cleveland looks like they could, I'm not going to say go on cruise control, but they certainly are in good position to win that top wild card spot. And then from there, you have Tampa just a half game back, Boston a game back. And if you want to include the Anaheim Angels, you can. They're five back. Texas, who also lost Joey Gallo to a broken wrist. Although he's out four to six weeks, but it was a hamate bone injury, which is the same injury Giancarlo Stanton had a few years back, and he was out more than four to six weeks. I believe it was about three months. So you figure Texas is going to be long gone in this race. So that's what you got in the AL and then the NL. I mean, look at this. Chicago and St. Louis are tied for the first spot in the wild card, followed by the Washington Nationals. When you look at it, all three teams have the same record they're all 56 and 49 so how are you going to shake a stick at that that's certainly going to remain to be seen well you have philly behind them one game back at 55 and 50 milwaukee a game back as well followed by san francisco two and a half arizona three and a half and then the mets at six to wrap up this baseball segment we know it's going to be all about the deadline what the mets are going to do what the yankees are going to do and I'll just recap it this way. I won't be surprised if Brian Cashman pulls what Brody Van Wagenen did and surprise the baseball world with a trade that nobody expected coming. Or he'll probably trade for two relievers because I don't think he wants to give up any of his crown jewels in the organization. The Mets, I would think Brody's in win mode. He's going to go for it. And if he does trade Syndergaard, again, it's going to be for the Sun, Moon, Stars, and Pluto. If not, I expect this team to be as is with probably Wheeler and Vargas gone. And are they contenders in the wild card for the National League? I guess the record shows that and they're six back. But if you're going to ask me, uh-uh, they're not. Get me to a game over, 500, and then we'll talk. And that's what we got for the baseball people. Football, yes. Are you ready for some football? Because you got the Hall of Fame game. I believe it's this coming Saturday or Sunday. They mix it up all the time. It used to be on Sundays, but I know they do the 
Hall of Fame ceremony, all the speeches on Saturday, and maybe they push that to Sunday. Who knows? Well, I'll tell you this. I'm sure the game is going to be on network TV, whomever the Hall of Fame game is, and I won't watch. I won't even put it on the channel, let alone watch a second of it. Okay, so for anybody that's out there ready for football and think that this is football, please. And I, I love how people come out and say, oh, but you want to see how the draft picks do? You want to see how they – please, they're going up against third and fourth string players that aren't even going to be in the league. So why even bother watching? All right, so for those who think that there's going to be some sort of competition for a starting position when they're going up against second and third stringers that are going to be driving UPS trucks in about two to three weeks, you got something else coming. But as far as some early training camp thoughts here, and I know all you got to do is let's look in the backyard here with the Giants. Seems like receivers are dropping like flies with the Sterling Shepard with a fractured thumb. Although the early reports say that he'll be ready for in time for the start of the year. But again, with a thumb, that's always going to be tricky because that's where he makes his livelihood, people. You know, it's not, a, we understand knees and ankles and legs are just as important as the hands. But hey, if you can't catch a ball, you're not in the league. So you got to wonder what that uh, type of toll is going to take on him, not only just physically, but even psychologically, because a lot's expected of Sterling Shepard now that Odell Beckham Jr. is in Cleveland. So you have that to think about, as well as Golden Tate being on the shelf for four games due to him taking some sort of a fertility drug. And without getting into that, he had apologized, and it was something that, he had taken, I believe his wife just recently gave birth or was pregnant. And how he got involved in that? Well, hey, sure enough, it was a banned substance on the league as far as their list is concerned. And now you're not going to have Golden Tate for the first four games of the season. So a giant team that is going to be staked with the quarterback competition, or you would think, even though I right now Eli's starting this year. But Daniel Jones, I'm sure, is going to be nipping at his heels. And that's something that we're not going to really concentrate on now. That's To me, that's something for down the road. But the wide receiver position is certainly not off to a good start there in Giant Camp. You have some holdouts that are big in the NFL, whether you're Melvin Gordon in L.A. with the Chargers or even Michael Thomas down in New Orleans, that they both want more money. Gordon, as we all know, is a very good back. But we know it's a passing league. And I think Gordon is pivotal to that team because despite the fact that this is a passing league, you certainly need to keep defenses honest with the run. And if you have a good back like Gordon is, obviously, is he worth a ton of money? Or Todd Gurley money, if you want to call it that? He thinks he is. But we know the premium position is not running back anymore. So there may be a stalemate there. If you're the Chargers, you've got to sign him. Because you got to look at your quarterback and his window and that team's window as far as making a Super Bowl. And you got to strike now. So they would have to pay him. Same thing with even with Michael Thomas. Drew Brees is, what, 41 years old? And although he hasn't shown signs of slowing down, but these windows, people think, oh, it's five, ten years. No, 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 no. These windows are more like two, three years. And especially with the revolving door of free agency in the NFL, these suckers don't last long. If your window's three years, you got to make sure you got to keep that sucker open because the minute you get that window to the top of the frame, it's starting to come down. Just ask the Seattle Seahawks. Or even better yet, the San Francisco Niners when they had Jim Harbaugh as coach. Remember, oh, Harbaugh, the fantastic job he's done in that defense. And even with Colin Kaepernick and what he did. Well, yeah, they made it to a Super Bowl and came this close for pass interference away from possibly winning the game and made it to three straight NFC title games. But those are the windows, people. Unless you're the New England Patriots, that window is a crevice. So they got to strike on those. You also have another issue with running backs and contracts with uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Missing the play in the camp. You know, the teammates aren't really concerned from what the early reports are. You know, as far as being a distraction is concerned. But, you know, he's looking for his big payday. But yeah, so is Dak Prescott. So is Mari Cooper. So is Jalen Smith. So is a bunch of people on that team. So Zeke shouldn't just look at him. And of course, he's going to make it about him. So you wonder how long that's going to last in uh, Jerry World and Cowboy Camp. And that's been the theme here 
so far this first week is about getting paid. Look at Jalen Ramsey coming in in an armored truck. So, thankfully, you don't have to, if you're a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, you know, I'm sure you're excited to see your man come in, but you know that will the Jaguars put their money where their mouth is for a guy who is a top-flight cornerback in this league, but we all know it's a big mouth. And do you want to continue to have to deal with a guy that's out for him? And we get it, rightfully so. Talk about those windows, people. Even for players, there's a window. But obviously the production has to back it up. So, something to look out for there. A couple other things. Jimmy Garoppolo, you haven't heard much about his health, but that's going to be another concern. Or, I don't want to say concern, it's a little bit strong, but that's going to be another issue we'll look at. And it's pretty much flying under the radar. Because the NFC, as loaded as it is with a lot of these teams, nobody's talking about San Francisco. And I understand it all banks on the quarterback. It's all going to be on his shoulders as far as how team, as far as where this team's going to go in 2019. And because nothing has really come out of that camp, is that injury 100%? Is he doing well? I mean, you would think he suffered that ACL injury. Uh, I don't know. Was it like week five? I think it was in Kansas City when that happened. So that's one off the cuff or underlying theme that you haven't really heard about because with all the talk about players wanting to get their contracts renewed or injuries abound, well, guess what? What's happening in San Francisco is I think going to be pretty important, especially to that West where L.A., who knows if they're going to bounce back after a little Super Bowl hangover. Seattle, you would think they're going to be good, but there's been a ton of turnover there over the course of the years, and Arizona is going to be Arizona, but they have Kyler Murray. So San Francisco is like the forgotten team in this mix. So you wonder where the Garoppolo health and also where their mindset is if they think that they have a shot to not only win a division, but even make the postseason. And I'll also... It's easy to talk about the Browns, and I understand people probably saying, well, Jay Reels, what about the Browns? These are one of the bigger stories. I get it. And then the Raiders are part of the hard knocks of this year, and Antonio Brown, and of course I'm sure a lot of that's going to be all the talk around the water cooler, especially for the football fan. But to me, the Browns, that's easy. I mean, we're not going to talk about them. To me, the Browns have been talked about ad infinitum this whole offseason, ever since they got Odell Beckham Jr. So why even talk about them? To me, it's just a matter of get me a week one. Let's see how they do in week one. And whether they win, great. I'm sure they're going to start printing up Super Bowl tickets down in Miami for Super Bowl 54. Or if they lose the first game, it's going to be another (laughs) 0-16 season. Who knows? I mean, that's going to be the thought process because, as we all know, it's a week-to-week league in the NFL. And if you win one game, hey, we're off to the promised land. And then if you lose one game, oh, geez, uh, let's see if we can get the number one pick. And then the Steelers, of course, I got to talk about my team. The renewed locker room, I get that a lot of it could be contrived considering the circus that has been in Pittsburgh over the last couple of years. And what I mean by that is Ben Roethlisberger had people over his house throughout the summer, camaraderie, some chemistry. Who knows if that was forced? Who knows if that was genuine? Whatever. Be that as it may, how I look at it, We get that Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, those are going to be hard guys to replace. But can they still make it to a Super Bowl without them? Absolutely. Are they going to make it to a Super Bowl this year? Uh, I'm not going to say they are. I'm not that crazy. But let's look at it from this perspective. When the Steelers had gone to the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 40, 43, and 45, Heinz Ward, who was a Pro Bowl receiver and borderline Hall of Famer, okay, great. But he's certainly not as dynamic and as productive as Antonio Brown. And you had a Jerome Bettis who obviously retired that final year. And then in 08 and in 2010, you had Richard Mendenhall as your running back. But they made it to the Super Bowl. And then your supporting cast, all right, Santonio Holmes was a first-round pick, but he never turned out to be a great wide receiver by any stretch. You know, you had Cedric Wilsons and Nate Washingtons and wide receivers like that, Antoine Randall Ls. And although those guys were serviceable wide receivers, but guess what? They went to the Super Bowl three 
times in a six-year span. So if you have a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who I understand everybody's going to look at, oh, now they're going to double-team him. Who else is going to be open? Well, they have plenty of reinforcements. I understand James Washington still has to prove himself. I get that. Eli Rogers is going to be a slot guy with Ryan Switzer. Those guys can catch the ball. That's perfectly fine. Justin Hunter is another guy that maybe he could be a guy that could step up. So I'm not really worried about the personnel factor of a one Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and not being able to replace that. I think they'll be perfectly fine. And who knows? I know they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. I'm sure that not making the postseason last year was even worse than losing these guys. So, so far, so good for this team right out of the gate. And Juju's kind of like the mouthpiece of this team right now, although he's not the, hey, look at me flying in on a helicopter the way Antonio Brown did last year. So those are some of the early thoughts there with training camp as I look around. So yeah, it's either about players getting paid. All right. Giants with their injuries. I understand, well, Jay Rose, what about the Jets? Yeah. I understand Quentin Williams was a guy that they're trying to get to sign. And I guess they had the similar issue last year with Sam Darnold, but there's nothing but glowing reports about him. And Le'Veon, I mean, there's nothing really to talk there. I'm just touching on some of the things that are affecting certain camps here as we get started with the exhibition season later on this week. And to wrap up here, some NBA and NHL notes. I'll just kind of mix this in the pot and feed it to you. NBA, I didn't talk about Ben Simmons getting his uh, five years, $170 million last week. But uh, he's in the mix of going with the 5 for 180 for Tobias Harris. We know the 4 for 103, I believe it was, for Al Horford. And we already have Joel Embiid. I forgot what it was, 5 for 140-something on the books as it is. So the Sixers, as we all know, are going to be a favorite in this conference for the next four years at least. As I said back during the postseason the NBA postseason, that is, that the process is not completed, but uh, yes, the process is over. Now they have to come up with the Lawrence O'Brien trophy here in the, over the course of the next four years. And with Simmons, I know that video came out of him taking jumpers and in practice. Hey, good for him. That's what he should be doing. But if you're a Sixer fan or even an NBA fan like myself, I'm not going to go crazy at him making all these jumpers in a scrimmage or in some sort of pickup game. Because are these guys playing defense? Are these guys in his face? Are these guys trying to stop him? All right. So he can make a 20-footer. Great. Oh, he's made a couple threes. Fantastic. But let me see this in some real action. You know, that's like saying, oh, this guy's an up-and-coming baseball prospect. Oh, you got to see him in batting practice. He's hitting 500-foot home runs. But yeah, if he's striking out every other at bat and he's barely making contact, and yeah, he hits the occasional home run, what good is that? It's garbage. And then the Wizards have a proposal for a three-year, $111 million extension for one Bradley Beal, which I believe they were going to offer it Friday, and he has until October 20th to sign. Now, the thing is, he's going into a final year of his deal, and the Wizards have come out and stated that they're not going to trade him. So if you're Beal, do you go ahead and take that, or do you wait, maybe get a and all NBA nods, so you can get a super max contract, which would be two more years and probably $120 million more than what the Wizards are offering. It's certainly one of those good, hmm, what will he do type of moments. Something tells me I think Beal will pass on it because the Wizards are going nowhere. John Wall, we all know the worst contract in the NBA. He's not going to play for God knows when, and there's certainly not going to be in any contention. So you could see Beal just say, nah, I'm good. Then go out try to kill it with 27 points, with however, however many rebounds and assists, hopefully become second or third team All-NBA, and then, all right, where do I sign? So, and then they have a new GM down there with Grunfeld out after all these years. They have Tommy Shepard, who's certainly trying to see what he could do to make a splash. And I think Beal, I'm sure he's going to pass on that deal. If he takes it, good for him. But 
We know the player. Hey, if he feels that like he can get more money and to get those uh, that max contract, that super max indeed, then guess what? I would think he'll pass on it. As far as the NHL is concerned, the Tampa Bay Lightning signed, re-signed their goalie. I understand people say, oh, Jay Reels, who cares? What? I mean, big deal. Andre Vasilevsky, he signed a long-term deal. The reason why I bring it up is because A, there's nothing going on in the sports world, number one. Number two, Tampa Bay was the best team in the league by far last year, and it got swept in the first round. So they're bringing this goalie back, which, uh, again, he did great in the regular season, but we got to see this in the postseason. So if your argument is, why are you going to bring this up at this time? Because there's not much going on, and because of what happened in Tampa in that postseason after, what was it, they had 100, they had 62 wins and had the top amount of points for the first time since 1996, what, have 128 points or whatever it was, which was close to what the Red Wings did back in 90, the 96 season. This is a team that I'm sure feels as if they're Stanley Cup ready, and this is the key guy that's going to take him there, and we all know how he fizzled out in those four games in the first round against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, hey, it's noteworthy, it's newsworthy, and we'll have to see another, what, nine months from now to see if he's gonna if this team's going to be anywhere close to that same spot, and the spotlight's certainly going to be on him. So this is one of those to... Nobody really cares about, nobody really is concerned about, and rightfully so because it's hockey, whatever, but maybe nine months from now when I bring this up and say, hey, this guy's up for a Vesna trophy. And on top of that, his team maybe not was number one overall, but they're one of the top couple teams in the league, so let's see if he can redeem himself after the disaster of what he endured this year. That's why I bring it up. All right, so we'll close out with the hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, and I don't know if it's much of a hero, but you got to give it up to him, and that's Troy Tulowitzki. Here's a guy, we know his career, Colorado Rocky, all-star player, certainly could have been one of the top players in baseball, but he had nursed too many injuries, signed on with the Yankees here, we all know he then was traded to Toronto, had a couple good seasons up there, but then suffered chronic injuries, and then with the Yankees, he did Get a crack at it early on. Did it a home run, I believe, in that first opening weekend series against Baltimore. But certainly was not able to stay healthy. So he retires, goes off into the sunset, gave it everything he could. And it's just a shame because this was a guy in 2007, came in and certainly performed at a high level, made it to a World Series. You thought he was going to be one of those next great shortstops in Major League Baseball. Certainly had his moments as a major leaguer, but never was able to put it all together and when you're not healthy, it's really hard to do that. So kudos to him for realizing and recognizing that his body just couldn't give any more. As much as his mind and his heart wanted to, body said, uh-uh, can't do it. So kudos to him. So he's the hero of the week. And then my zero of the week, I mentioned him earlier, I got to say it now. Trevor Bauer, what are you doing, my guy? I get that the game was slowly but surely slipping away from him yesterday in Kansas City. They had a 5-3 lead, and then he's given up hit after hit after hit. And then as Terry Francona is going out to pull him, what does he do? He turns around, he flings the ball over the center field fence, which that's very impressive to, to for starters. I mean, when you're on a pitching mound, and he is a pitcher, so he throws hard, so if anybody could do it, it's him. But from the pitching mound to throw it over the center field wall in Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City... Impressive. But guess what? You're a professional baseball player. Unfortunately, you're going to have games and moments like that where you just have to suck it up. If you want to go in the dugout and take a bat to the rack or to a water cooler, all right, great, fine. But to show that type of emotion, which was absolutely Bush League, even Little League, and just childish and immature and all that, you got to, come on, Trevor Bauer. Now, I don't know, was he trying to do that maybe to get himself out of Cleveland, which would have been dumb because they're in the race and the game back. But certainly, and he admitted afterwards in the postgame, his emotions did get the best of him. He apologized, et cetera, and even Francona kind of took the high road. I guess they tried to get more information out of him and say, hey, you know, what really went on there? He said, nope, we'll keep it internal. That's it. We spoke to him about it. He spoke to the team. We'll keep it in-house. And away we go. So hopefully you're not going to see any type of 
chicanery and tomfoolery from a one Trevor Bauer again for the rest of the season. As we all know, he does have a big mouth and he's obviously very opinionated, but him showing that uh, that little display of immaturity uh, was certainly a no-no, and he is my zero of the week. All right, people, who knows? I may come on later this week. If anything crazy happens in the trade world of Major League Baseball, I'm going to put up another podcast. I won't do a video pod and put it on my social media accounts. I will come back on if the Mets trade Noah Syndergaard for a bag of baseballs or for an, an entire minor league system. I will certainly come on, and the Yankees for that matter too, just to kind of do a little recap. And that will probably be posted Wednesday night. If nothing major comes out of it, if Noah stays put, if the Yankees get a Mike Miner or someone like that, eh, you know, I'm not going to go crazy. So it won't be a podcast. So it has to be earth shattering, some just knock your socks off, drop your phone type of trades for me to come on. So, uh, but stay tuned to all of my social media accounts, whether it's Instagram, J Reels. Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, or the J Reels Podcast Facebook fan page. You'll certainly be up to date with what it is I have to say about that as far as either A, any of the news or anything that's going to come down the pike as far as trades are concerned, and especially if there's going to be a pod. So you want to tune in on that. If you want to send me a DM or an email for any questions, comments, criticism, praise, please do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com or just hit me up in a DM on my affirmation or uh, on my aforementioned, excuse me social media pages. And lastly, people, as I say each and every week, please subscribe, leave a review, post a rating, anything about the podcast, whether it's good, bad, negative, give me any type of feedback. I certainly implore you to do so only because as we all know, in this day and age, there are zillions of podcasts out there and obviously billions of sports podcasts. And here I am just an independent entity, just trying to Get my fair shake, and of course, your participation in leaving the aforementioned reviews and ratings, etc., is just going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the other ones in the sports universe, and hopefully that will generate more interest with guests and popularity, things of that nature. So if you could do that, people, uh, please do so. I'll be forever indebted, and I am watching. I am checking out the various sites, the podcast sites, just to make sure that people are leaving a review, and again, I uh, truly Totally 1,000%, not even 100, 1,000% appreciate it as I deliver everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J. Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody, and possibly until maybe Wednesday night, but if not until the next time on the J. Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby.